Are you gay? Geeky? Just enjoy hearing your good Judy's dish about the latest in pop culture? Well, then you're in luck. The boys of Flame On are here for you. In every episode, we discuss the topics that entrance us. Whether it's comics, TV, movies, drag queens, or video games, we've got you covered. So, if you're ready for your gay and geeky slice of pop culture life, then sit back and get ready to Flame On! Hold up! What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. For more Nerdy Show podcasts, community forums, and learn how you can support this and other Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Special living room concert edition of Flame On. I'm here with my brother Jeff. Oh, this isn't the new tradition of just doing it in the living room. It might be. Ah, it's very comfy. It is actually is very more. I think it's more comfortable. We might we might make it stick. And uh, Jared. Hi. <laughs> Jared's fighting to stay awake. Oh, I'm, yes. I'm afraid it's going to be an echo chamber here, here tonight until you know Eric makes a grand entrance. Yeah. So, um, of course, as is tradition, we haven't had a full flame on cash recording with all of our constituent parts in oh, probably about better uh, half of a year at least. So, uh, as is tradition, Oral's working. Eric is on his way any minute now. I'm sure he'll show up and regale us with his lovely dulcet New Yorker tones. But uh, anyway, it's just us for now. So uh, we want to introduce, first of all, if this is your first episode of listening to us, and I'm sorry if it is, because we have had more, you know, strongly, you know, attended, and it's fine. Um, we're, we're keeping a, a, a hawk-like watch on uh, the new mascot for Flame On. Yes, uh, Pat and I got a little old English bulldog puppy. He's a little over three months old, and he is a Havoc, uh, oh God, Havoc Thanos Del Rio took me a second there um and of course that is havoc and thanos from comics and del rio from bianca del rio uh of course one of our favorite drag queens and the patron saint of uh evil bitches um havoc is a little feisty puppy and bites things and gets all upset if you leave him so he's out here with us he's got to chew stuff it's he, what a puppy does he really does everything so back to what i was saying this isn't the best attended but what we are is a gay and geeky podcast uh, part of the Nerdy Show Network, of course, if you have not realized that because you found us on Facebook or whatever, you should go to nerdyshow.com and check out all the exciting programming they have there. Uh, but we are the gayest and geekiest part of it. 
uh, even if not 100% of us are gay. Hi. Yeah. We always have token straights around as a sort of a control group. If Straight you will. man on the floor. That's a, I'm not on the floor anymore. I have my own chair. You That's will true. be. Oh, well, maybe later. So this episode is going to be interesting. We're going to do a few uh, different things. We're going to talk about uh, some movies that we've seen uh, over the past. Uh, well, I actually just saw recently, but uh, because we haven't all seen the latest and greatest movies. Um, so why is this happening? Well, you know. No, my brother and I actually, well, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. The other thing is we're going to talk about some gaming stuff. We haven't always kept up with gaming, but since the group right here is very active in gaming in certain ways, certain ways, in certain ways, whether they're producing games or, uh, you know, just playing them, just playing them, yeah. we're going to talk about some stuff, including, of course, the obligatory Smash Brothers review, which, you know, is going to be great. We have some TV stuff, but we may have some other stuff we'll save for a later show when the rest of us are here. Anyway, long story short, let's get going. Uh, movies. I just want to briefly touch on Interstellar. I know neither of my compatriots here saw this. I wanted to see it. I just haven't seen it. It's okay. It's okay. I keep hearing mixed things, though. I will say this. It scratches an itch for me that I tend to have from time to time from movies like 2001. That's the thing I've heard the most that's been compared to is 2001. To me, the movie is a love letter to both the movie 2001 and science fiction films that try to go more hard science, they call them. Um, it definitely hews more towards that than any other sci-fi trope that you've seen. Uh, there, and I, you know, there will be spoilers on this. I'm going to try to keep this somewhat spoiler free because I think some parts of the movie are worth experiencing for the first time, but there are no aliens. Also, I've, I mean, you can see from the casting that there are certain actors like Jessica Chastain who they have blatantly said plays the adult version of his daughter. Well, and it is uh, in one delightful sci-fi trope, and this is actually a physics trope, um, when you travel into space, specifically if you travel near the speed of light or around massive gravitational objects... Time slows down for you. Time slows down for you, but for the rest of the objective area, it goes at normal normal rate. So one of the things they play with in this movie, in lieu of having aliens, is sort of the quote-unquote real-life consequences of space travel, time dilation being one of them. So that's cool. Um, you know, And I say there are no aliens, but there is sort of an interesting sort of benevolent force that is involved that you get to find out about. They are left very mysterious to a point. So like when I say there are no aliens, what I'm really saying is there's no bug-eyed monsters you know, fighting Earth. Or, so they don't know, do a Star Trek V where they find God? Not as such. No. Okay, that's good. Um, there is some very uh, otherwise realistic sort of sciencey stuff like slingshots around planets. We've got uh, in space, there is no sound. You only hear the sound of your own breathing apparatus or in the spaceships, of course, they hear stuff. Um, what else? Uh, the Earth-based stuff, uh, we were actually just talking before the show, is a little rough. Uh, Pat was telling us that, I guess, they wanted Steven Spielberg to direct that part of it at one point and then that didn't happen and so nolan directed the whole thing but the thing i think that is most interesting and assaulting in some ways is the sound the uh, soundtracks by hans zimmer and the sound design i forgot the guy who did it but every sound in the movie is very in your face front and center loud um including things that you might not necessarily think would be loud uh they drive through a cornfield at one point and you can and, hear the stocks whipping at the doors. But and like the, deafeningly loud and so much so that the dialogue 
is drowned is out. drowned out. And uh, and Nolan has come forward and defended this and said, no, this is what I want. I want you to have a visceral experience. And he's an auteur. He, you know, is, is he's done this before with uh, Bane's voice. I was gonna say I had a I had a visceral experience trying to listen to what the hell Bane was saying in Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. So I mean, he, this is a thing where he's not always on the same side of his public. But be that as it may, it was his vision. Hans Zimmer wrote a gah, loud organ and traditional instrument score that is actually quite beautiful in endpoints. Um, certainly evocative of moments from 2001 and other films. But, you know, if you're going to go see this movie and it's still in the theaters, go to an IMAX theater because actually Nolan does shoot a lot of stuff in 70 millimeter IMAX format. He's one of the directors out there that just fully believes that's the best format. And as much as he can, he will shoot in that or do uh, CG. That's the other thing is there's not a lot of CG in this movie. A lot of it is what they call practical effects where they actually do either uh, models or they shoot on locations. So there's there's lots of shots up in like Iceland or wherever where there's like giant glaciers. Um, the robot tech is kind of cool because it's not like any kind of fancy future robot, you know, in any form you've ever seen. In fact, I thought when I saw the trailer, the robot was actually an alien because he has this sort of monolith like shape, but he talks with like the first one you meet is like a marine, so he's like a soldier unit, and the AI is very advanced. I mean, they they basically act like they're real people, but they remind you constantly that they are robots or they are AI because they they tweak their like what is it the humor filter or percent of uh, truth level like they they're constantly kind of joking about that they, they can change those different settings. So I really enjoyed it, and my partner Pat, uh, as you know, the talking bearskin rug, did not enjoy it as much. Um, I would say this is a divisive movie, not just for that, but for many things I've heard. But I would say if you are a fan of hard sci-fi and classic like. Earth going into space sort of uh, exploration books or movies. 2001, again, being one of the most common to give as an example. Highly recommend. You'll get, a, you'll get a lot out of it. Eric, if he shows up later, may give us a Big Hero 6 review. We'll find out. But Has anybody else in the room seen Big Hero 6? No, but I want to. Yeah, I want to as well. I'm very excited about it. I'm not familiar with the comic book it's based on, but I've heard that it isn't exactly the most faithful to it. Um, but in a good way. Mm-hmm. Speaking of that, I actually had the pleasure to sit down and watch Snowpiercer. Okay. I also bought the graphic novel that it is based on. You also bought the Blu-ray, and then Netflix had to go and put it up for free. Yeah, whatever. It's <laughs> well, not for free. I mean, it was 15 bucks, but whatever. So the point is, Snowpiercer came out, what, back earlier this year, I believe? Either earlier this year or late last year. Korea- it's, it's It's been in, like, it's been in distribution slowly elsewhere around the world and kind of made it here well and what's funny is it's korean directed but american largely american acted or caucasian acted but with some other um asian actors it is very much feels like a like either a korean or sort of eastern type film in the in the way they certain scenes the way they shoot it um, the, the, angles are, the action sequences are very very much not your typical american action that would be fair brutal oh yeah I mean, the one scene... Well, let's back up. So the, the premise of the Snowpiercer movie and the comic book the, that it's based on is that the end of the world has happened. Earth is dying in a, in a f- fierce ice storm, snowstorm. Temperatures have plummeted. It's basically and, what a, a global, or whatever global ice age. Right. We've, we've destroyed the Earth because of our horrible, horrible ways. And Yeah, so the only way that humanity is able to survive... And this kind of makes sense, but not really. Is they have a train. It's called the Snowpiercer. 
And it was a originally a kind of a, a luxury train liner that was famous for going around the world. And it is in action, like it, it just continues to circle the globe. And so the uh, so it is a, a train that runs around the world. And because Earth is in this permanent ice age, that actually helps them survive. And the train is built long enough where it actually has more than enough resources to keep the population on the train sustained and living. But the way when the movie takes place, it's basically it's coming up on the end of one generation of people living on the train and the beginnings of the next generation of people. It's been about like 20 years, I think. I think so, yeah. So you have people that like when the train started moving, they might have been around they were 18 and now they're like middle-aged. Yeah, and it, it's it, it's very interesting the sort of class struggle that you have because the group that is at the tail of the train, they're the people who are like they just jumped on the train as it was leaving. They didn't even have tickets necessarily. And then towards the front of the train, you have the higher class wealthy that have paid for their own berth, and you know each car has its own amenities, and it's kind of like this little microcosm of civilization. Yeah. Um, so the story is the Tailies, I think they actually call them that in the movie. I know they call them that in the graphic novel. It's translated from French, but tail Tailies. Um, they actually decide after years of stagnation, they, they have brutal justice brought upon them by basically like if you, if you strike a security guard, you have to stick your arm out of the window where it's, of course, you know, below freezing. And like it will just, if they'll make you wait long enough that it'll just basically get like, frozen solid then they'll break it but and even that was an actual that was they had reached that point after they said like the in in the first years on the train the back part the tailies have were uh had resorted to cannibalism because there was no food there was there was no one coming to see them they basically just sealed off that back half of the train yeah and let everybody back there suffer right and so and then the food in addition to the cannibalism well what they did to try to solve the cannibalism problem is they found this way to manufacture protein bars. And so they were being fed nothing but these gelatinous protein bars. And there's a reveal at some point, basically, that those are bugs that they have, I guess, from other parts of the train or what have you. And they're grinding them up into this protein paste that they make them eat. So, like, you have all this awful, awful conditions and this obvious class struggle. And uh, what's his name? Chris Evans. Chris Evans. Uh, Captain America, he's the main star that you'd recognize easily in this movie. He decides that he and a couple other of the tailies are going to lead an insurrection. And they've been carefully monitoring the security system. They know the timing they need to do. They construct this battering ram that they can use to, like, not just they time the doors opening, but then they use the ram to push through and keep the doors open. And, of course, they're, you know, stockpiling weapons and all this other stuff. Um, John Hurt's also in there. He's he, one he's of the... He's like the mentor for Chris Evans. Tilda Swinton is Oh, the, Tilda Swinton. She is amazing. She knows how to... Unrecognizable. Yeah. Uh, just the way they did her makeup. But she's sort of the umbrage, if you will, the absolute enforcer of the policy in his, as like a bureaucrat, but just played disgustingly brutal, but also a bureau, bureaucrat. Think bureaucrat, but just totally... Like she's evil. It's great. She's really funny. Uh, basically, until the tables are turned. Long story short, they make their way through the toll train. There's sequences where they're fighting the security guards. That this was actually cool. They go through a tunnel, and yeah. so the the insurrection is doing really well. I mean, they're just killing everything, and they're 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 making their their uh, way through. 
Um, and they hit these security guards, and they're actually doing really well against them, even though the security guards have, like, axes and other stuff. Well, and, like, they have axes, and then they bring out these fish, and I was talking to my girlfriend, oh, yeah. Melody, and she's like, yeah, I just got to the part with the axes, and for some reason they have a bunch of fish. Like, oh, yeah, oh, that's so horrible. Why, what? They basically cut into the fish and use the, the guts and the dried, like, rotted fish guts on the edges of the axes so that when they cut somebody in the insurrection, that's going to get infected, that's going to get pussy, nasty, oh, and see, just I rotten I didn't get that, that much faster. They're going to get some kind of a poison Ugh. because of the guts. Ugh. Well, um, so, but the, the real, so that happens, but then they actually have a turn where they go through a tunnel and everyone can't see each other. They're fighting, but the, the train security has night vision. Yeah. And so they wait for the, everything to get pitch black and they don't even start hacking into them right away. It's just this really creepy sequence with all the, the people on, on the insurrection just standing around trying to feel where these guards with these axes are now. And you can see from the guards' point of view with the night vision, and they're like they're right up next to them, and they're just kind of barely touching them, and then all hell just breaks loose. It's it's pretty awesome. And so, you know, they go through car by car by car. There's a lot of different scenes, little tableaus. Um, you know, and they basically go and confront the creator of this engine, uh, played by... Uh, Ed Harris. Ed Harris. I In get- his most... Ed Harris role since the Truman Show. Oh my God! Well, it's similar in, in a lot of ways. I actually read an interesting analysis of Snowpiercer. This is what got me interested. They they basically said that Snowpiercer as a whole is a Gnostic parable because you have this sort of idea that the world as you know it isn't the real world, and you're trying to fight the demiurge, which is the creator of the fake world, so you to take power and bring back your own divine spark, and you know, and 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 the real world, of course, is the world around them. The frozen world, but then the train is the the fake world. And, like it was a fascinating analysis. I mean, it's very similar to what they did with the Matrix um, and other sort of Gnostic inspired works, uh, The Invisibles by Grant Morrison. Now, some of my friends that have seen it have had the complaint, and I can agree to a certain extent that the movie is a bit uneven when it comes to yes. what each person who's acting in it thinks they're doing, because you have the people like Chris Evans and John Hurt, maybe not Ed Harris, because I'm pretty sure he knew what he was doing. Um, that are in a movie that's very serious and very noble and very passionate. And then right. you have people like Tilda Swinton and Ed Harris and a couple others who are like hamming it up yeah. over the top. You know, you get a wide range of performance, which I actually think is more of a, the hallmark of, a, of an Eastern film. Right. So, I mean, again, if you know enough Eastern cinema, that totally works. It totally makes sense and it's not a problem. But a Western audience would be kind of weird weirded out and that's possibly why it didn't get a wider release yeah in 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 the west i mean it is just not your traditional action film but anyway long story short it's a lot of fun i think it's easily worth especially if it's on netflix for free if you have netflix definitely yeah, check go it watch out. it it's a good sci-fi film at the very least it's kind of one of those post-apocalyptic movies that we all love all right let's talk tv now uh, i'm gonna keep a couple of them so so we've been some some of us myself at least i've been watching all the comic book shows except arrow and Walking Dead, because that's... You know, I've was. been watching Arrow. I haven't been watching Walking Dead, but I have not also been watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Okay, so I'm going to say this about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's a great show. It's also up on Netflix for season one now. It is. Jared, I you could get caught up. Could catch up Once now. you graduate... What? You could watch Agents, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. What? <laughs> he's, um, in, he's enthralled with the dog. Awesome. He's babysitting. The dog is trying to chew the other foot off of his duck toy. 
that he's previously taken. You know, that's who he is. Of. He's the duck hunt dog. Oh my god! Which we'll get to really soon here. Um, so all I say about Agents of Shield is all you haters out there hating it because last season was a little slow. It's gotten so good. Thank you, Havoc. I'm glad you agree. Um, it is tying into the movies that are coming soon it's or ti- sooner. It's, it's I will I will give it credit. It is tying into cosmic Marvel. Yes, which is impressive for a low level ABC show. I mean, it's not doing it in a way that is a giant budget. No, but some of the ideas they're playing with. I mean, to make a long story short, they're basically setting up the Inhumans little bit by bit. Now it's a race between them and Hydra who to get who can get to the Inhuman city of Atalan first. Yeah, so I mean, I'm I'm very happy. The comic book geek in me is very happy. But I'll tell you, even if you're not a comic book geek, don't worry about it. The show is written like any other Joss Whedon, although you know he is just an executive producer and his brother and. I think his brother's wife are the showrunners, but it is written in such a way that the characters are diverse and they're not always they're they're not always good. Like there are characters like Ward, who's like the heavy sort of you know double agent guy, and he he his loyalties go back and forth, and so you're not quite sure at any moment. And uh, do they? They? I thought I saw a clip or a photo of uh, the not Matt Bomber, but the other guy from White Collar. I don't know. Uh, he was also in Carnival. I remember Carnival. Yeah, the pitcher, yeah. the the guy who was like he been a while. He had a busted leg. He had limped around. I don't know. Uh, I think it's Ward's brother. <gasps> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, he's uh, in there. Yeah, I was he's like, a oh. politician. It's it's a whole thing. But no, I will say you definitely want to check it out. And if you're into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, this is you owe it yourself. I'll also say Mockingbird, Bobby. You know. Mm-hmm. From the, uh, just awesome. Just great oh, the, character. The, the girl from uh, G.I. Joe and... Wonder Woman pilot that didn't go through. Yeah. Yeah, so she's awesome. I love her to death. As we said last week, I had a moment with her when she whipped out her sticks. and Yeah, anyway. Um, uh, Gotham is uneven. There was it's one getting episode, better, though. Well, sort of. I haven't was, seen this past week's. Uh, well, there's one tonight, but yeah, I saw last week's, and it was uneven. Okay. Um, the one that really, to me, was the best was the one where... All the shit hit the fan. Uh, oh, the re- the reveal of all the different yep. Machiavellian penguins. It was well, they called like Penguin's Umbrella or something like yes. that. Yes, and the, you learn Penguin's like a triple agent. And uh, Gordon has his whole showdown basically with Zaz, but also with the whole police department basically bailing on him. Like that was a quality he, dr- gripping episode. He gains Harvey Bullock as an actual And that was, it partner. actually felt pretty good. Like I, I overall that was probably the high point. Um, the one after that, I forgot which one it was, which villain of the week it was. There was one that was like plastique kind the, of. The one after that was the Battle Royale. Yeah, that the was corporate. awful. Yeah. Awful. And then the one after that, the, the most redeeming part of the one you haven't seen yet is Catwoman, or uh, what's her name? Selena and Bruce get to spend a little time together. Yeah, because aren't they like on the run from Zaz or something like that? No, well, kind of. Selena basically goes to live with Bruce for a little while. Ah. And so they have like fun quality time. And that's, you know, that's cute because they're kids, but you know what they're going to become. And that, like that works. They're going to grow up to be fucking. Well, they, yeah, basically. So, um, but overall, the show is just very uneven. I'm not thrilled. Constantine or Constantine, depending on your your preference. Uh, we just found out today NBC is not going past 13 episodes. For season one. For season one, which actually... This is a, a very strange... It is, but I think I actually like it because it, it, it makes them not... They have to focus the story a bit more. 
to tighten it up. They can't just let it be like just stupid villain of the week, but, which it could easily be and be awful. But doing it now, do they have a time to course correct? If what if they had thrown in a bunch of filler crap? I don't know. for the first thirteen. I don't know that, and that's that's something we'll have to see as it airs. But and it's not a guarantee either. NBC no. did not guarantee this well, is no. season two. Basically, they're not buying the back nine, right? But they're also not canceling it. See, a lot of times the way TV works is you do a twelve or thirteen episode, whatever order, and if early showings are good or you know your ratings are good enough they'll order what they call the back nine which brings you up to the typical 22 episodes well in this case they're not buying the back nine but they're also not saying it's done they're just going to do that initial run now take a break and bring it back as like a probably either a mid-season replacement or you know second season or whatever that's smart because i think a lot of television gets watered down with 22 episodes oh, definitely you can really sustain it even shield agents of shield has that uh, especially in the first season. But then you see when a show is on point, a show like, personal favorite, Hannibal, when they oh. only have 13, <laughs> yeah. and they oh. make use of every episode perfectly. Yeah, Hannibal is a great reason, a great show, a great example of a show that has only a finite amount of time to get in, get out, tell the story, and it does it amazingly. So um, so Constantine's coming back, but like I said, the episodes have been mixed. Yeah, some it's... are okay, some are not okay. It has a very X-Files sort of 90s, yeah, I guess I could kind of feel Constantine himself. I think is good. The supporting characters are interesting, but if anything, it's the know. a lot of the the scripting and the dialogue is kind of weak. Sometimes is some of the jokes feel very very on the nose, and I I have the same complaint about Flash. Even though I love Flash, sometimes the dialogue is just okay. Come on, this is just yeah. really cheesy. Flash does the opposite. Instead of trying to be like dark gritty whatever superhero horror, it's doing the pop bubblegum CW episode of the week with the romance and the, the soap opera stuff. It's it's playing that a lot harder. But overall, I think it's still fairly good and consistently entertaining. But yeah. there are lines that are cheesy and there are like the Clancy Brown Doctor uh, General Ealing character was yeah. like, kind of ridiculous. Just a one note. Yeah. Um, I am excited to see because they already are pushing along the um, the mystery of Flash's origin. It's at least his mother being killed. And, uh, you know, there's been some progress in sort of... Uh, Professor Wells or Doctor Zoom or... Professor if that's who he is. Like, there's still not a clear... It'd be a nice little twist if he was Bart Allen. I uh, well, I've put forward that he could be Bart or he could be Barry because in the comics they actually did like Barry is evil from the future. Mm. Like he just he realizes he screwed up his own life so much and he has to make these terrible decisions that he actually goes back and tries to course correct. So, but I mean, I, I don't think they're going to have Barry Allen killing his own mom. I mean, that, that seems a little too far, I think, for TV. So it's probably Zoom, Zoom. Reverse Flash. Whatever. Um, but, because what do you call him? Because Zoom's kind of stupid and Reverse Flash is even worse. Well, I like still how they, they, they basically, the one guy, uh, Cisco, keeps making up names. Yeah. Yeah, that's and, funny. And it's like sort of his in-joke. So they don't actually care call the characters that ever other than that one time. Now, the best episode, of course, has to be the Captain Cold episode. Oh, Wentworth Miller did a fantastic oh, job. Oh, my God. Especially pulling off the respect you can give for a character named Snart. I mean... It sounds like a sneeze fart. <laughs> Leonard Snart. It, it is a ridiculous name, but I mean, he was, he not only looked amazing in his little uh, parka that they actually had him wear, which is kind of awesome, but like they did it in an organic and believable way. I mean, he was a criminal. 
He was a hardened criminal, criminal, and he came into this tech. And yet, he does have some kind of a code because he yeah. was he hates in you know he hates uh, people that can't live up to the expectation. If they're not holding their weight, you're out. I mean, it is exactly probably the one of the most literal translations of a character I've ever seen from comic book to TV. Did Johns write that episode? I, Johns is an executive producer, so I am not shocked. That this is the case. Oh, and they've already set, started setting up the rogues. I mean, not only do you have Weather Wizard at the beginning and or whatever, but I mean, they basically at the end of the cold episode introduce Heat Wave indirectly. And that was played by his uh, co-star uh, from oh, Prison it? Break, uh, the brother from oh, Prison Break. I didn't realize Dominic that. something. I forget his name. Well, I'm very excited to see them come back. Um, the uh, I'm not watching Arrow, but I heard it's good. It's good. It's I good. got They're to doing... meet Felicity from Arrow. She's pretty funny. Oh, what, at uh, New York Comic Con? No, oh, I meant on the... Sh- well, she was on... Uh, oh, on Flash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, in I, person. Sorry, I didn't mean to entail that I... Uh, I don't know. You got a lot of conventions. I figured she might be at one. No, she, but she's a lot of fun. I could see that the extended Arrow family is kind of a nice part of that show. The uh, They're doing the whole Ra's al Ghul overarching story this season on Arrow. Mm-hmm. So they're hinting. I mean, like, first couple episodes, it was, oh, League of Assassins, League of Assassins. Then they pulled it back a bit because... Uh, what's his name? Uh, Malcolm Merlin played by oh barrowman uh has also become a, a force in the season because the league of assassins is hunting john barrowman oh, so he's he, not a straight up bad guy but he's sort of yeah he's a, he's mostly a, bad guy he's a, a bad guy with layers because he's like an onion he's got layers that's good he'll also make you cry oh of course he can um i guess oliver's sister in the show is also uh merlin's daughter oh so he's got an investment he wants to protect his daughter oh wow so they actually, yeah, I mean, John Barrowman does a great job on the show. That's yeah. the one reason that Melody finally picked up the show and caught up on two seasons worth was because John Barrowman would play a bigger part in this season. I need to catch up because I love Barrowman and I want to see him uh, in this role. So I'm, I, it's on my list of things to catch up on. And he plays an even bigger badass. I mean, he wasn't an outright badass as Captain Jack. He's an outright badass as Malcolm Merlin. Good. No, I think that's one of the best ways to use Barrowman is let him be... A badass let him get out there and do his thing but have that confidence that you mm-hmm. get um uh but yeah what are some of this oh uh they're about to do the flash crossover yep I, uh, I, I might i might end up starting there seeing the both you know and then go backwards and sort of work back well with the boomerang oh yeah that's right oh he's yeah the, especially because i love boomerang he's one of my favorite and uh, well and the actor who they're getting to play him is actually from uh spartacus so if you like the spartacus show and i do like spartacus jared did you ever watch spartacus why that not? Show, That's a great show. I know it's a great show, but do I look like I have time? No, 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 no. Did no. you? It Here's ended a few years ago. Here's the thing. No, this is what you do. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you. It's background man candy. I, I know. I'm, I'm aware of the screenshots that have okay. circulated the internet. I don't... I watched some of the show, but overall, it was awesome. Just background man candy. Like, I, I don't think there's ever been a show quite like that that's had such excellent... <laughs> And and the gore and all this other stuff. I mean, it was really a man's man's show. Like you could be into the sex, you could be into the hetero, the hetero or homosexual sex, so, the blood, the gore. It was awesome. So it's just a hyper masculine show. Is what very you're okay. incredibly hyper gonadism. It's crazy. Okay. Um, so uh, let's talk about because you're not watching American Horror Story, right, Joe? Nope. Yeah, I uh, I have every time I hear something good about this season, I hear something bad right after. It's just very. It's more of the same. In some ways, it's awesome. Um, there's certainly new aspects to it. I will just say this. Michael Chiklis. Who the hell does he play? 
uh, the strong man, uh-huh. and he is revealed to be a closeted homosexual. And of course, he's a bit bearish. I mean, he's not like Mister, you know, bearded or anything. But I mean, he is quite a hunk of man. So, uh, for all of you Michael Chiklis fans out there, you do owe it to yourself to watch. Who was uh, it? Was it Family Guy that made the joke that Michael Chiklis just looked like a pair of testicles? Oh, <laughs> I mean that's fine. He he, he kind of in a good way, I think. Just you know the hairless, just yeah, ball sack. Yeah, he does kind of look like that. Now, um, Doctor Who. Because I know you watch it. No, I did not finish this season. Uh huh. I I got through. Okay, Havoc, stop chewing on the mic wire. Not what? Ooh. Um. Oh, nice. Let's see. I got through Kill the Moon. Uh huh. And thought I was gonna lose my shit. That episode was fucking retarded. And I'm saying, nope, I'm done. Wow. Not because of the concept, but because of the preachiness at the end of the episode and the thinly veiled metaphor for a woman's right to choose. Like, are you fucking kidding me? This is offensive. Wow, I didn't even think about that. I really, that, that Let's never... just throw these three women in a room because, you know, it's their right to talk about if a baby lives or dies. Like, oh my God. Wow, that's interesting. I mean, literally, it did not even occur to me that that was what they were doing. But, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, I totally see it now. Um... So here's the thing about Doctor Who. I'm very mixed about this because I love the I love Moffat. I love his writing. I actually am a full, you know, I was just gushing about this on Comic Book Bears. So if you want to hear me really go crazy and gush, you know, go listen to that. But the thing about this doctor in general, he's very unlikable, but intentionally so. Capaldi has basically come out and said, look, I don't want you to like me. Oh, yeah. He said when he took over from Matt Smith, he believed that there were a lot of kind of bad habits that had built up over the past few doctors. Right. And he is taking it back to the doctor as a dick. Right. And so to me, Kill and the you Moon. Shouldn't, and you shouldn't outright trust the doctor. Exactly. And Kill the Moon is a good example of that. Because he kind of doesn't give much of a fuck. He's kind of like, nope, here you go. You're done. Go do it. This is your call. It's not me. I'm checking out. But it's also same- offensive if you look at it in the context of the woman's right to choose of the man just going, yep, it's your decision. That's I'm not- taking a back seat to this opinion. You can, this is yours. Like now, nah, motherfucker, you're a part of this. Well, you have to stick around. I mean, if it was his uh, space semen that impregnated the the moon, then I would agree more that in this case he he is uh, you know part of it. But long story short, I believe the redeeming factor was he trusted Clara's decision and her character so much that he knew he was leaving the situation in good hands now should he have done it that's a open question that really i think is a valid thing to talk about um because like you said you know he should be a part of it he's you know what does clara say at one point actually i don't know if you got did you see the caretaker episode you didn't see no, I saw the care- that was that was before I it was right Man. after it and that was before because the end of Kill the Moon, she was like, I'm done. Oh, you're right. You're right. So basically, like, you know, her thing about you breathe our air, this is your... Like, that to me is, like, very true to... You know, the doctor can't just turn his back. Right. He is a part of us. He, you know, he is a part of our, our... He's the one who likes to hang out around here. Exactly. He likes to interfere, so... So, I mean, it's interesting to see how that sort of relationship plays out by the end. Have you read anything about the end? Mm-hmm. Okay. 
I mean, I will tell you, the end of the series, first of all, Missy... Also, I called that shit from episode one. Well, we all did. We all knew Missy was... Spoiler. We all thought it was... No, it wouldn't be that obvious. Well, yeah. I mean, basically, Missy, Mistress, Master. I mean, okay, there you go. Yeah. Um, although, when they filmed it, do you know that the dialogue said something like, she's like, I am the royal, or basically spelled out Ronnie. Ronnie? Which is the, a female Time Lord. So oh. they actually mouthed that, but they went back in later and changed it in ADR or whatever. Hmm. So um, that was kind of a nice throw for a lot of people. Um, but no, I love Missy. I think she's amazing. Michelle Gomez, I started watching Green Wing, which I'm is a British, that. like, uh, it's it's kind of like a Scrubs sort of show, but only in the sense that it's a comedy set in a hospital. It is nothing like Scrubs in terms of the humor. Right. Though both have a sort of a flair for the wacky. Um, this show is we way weirder. Brian from Space is in it. Okay, as one of the doctors uh, and some other actors, British comedians you've seen. Um, what is her character like? Is she a little bit more loosened up, a little more wacky on oh, that show? Completely. Like you, you really owe it to yourself. And it's on Hulu. Um, you got to check it out because she's zany, bizarre. It's it's great. But but seeing her do that after seeing her as Missy, like I totally get the energy. That she uh, that they liked about her. The other thing is she's a huge Doctor Who fan. She mm. actually did a big Finnish audio drama. I forgot which one now, but they just re-released the interview with her about it. And she actually's like, I want to be the Doctor. She's like, I want to play the Doctor someday. Well, and that's what everybody after the review started coming out for the reveal for these last couple episodes of this this series. Like this blows the doors off the concept that you can't have a female Doctor from here on. Now yeah. is it possible of. The next cast choice could be a female. No, absolutely. And I think that is an important thing. And I think that having, you know, some people might be offended that it's a villain as opposed to the hero, whatever. The point is, she's a fun character that they actually had to make less fun and make more manic and make more brutal in one of the things that she does. It's like, we don't, we don't want the audience to actually start liking her but, but more I mean, than the doctor. It is completely natural to love her. Um, anyway, long story short, the episode sort of ends in a very kind of like whimperish, the doctor and Clara go their separate ways because they basically have come to the point where they're basically lying to each other about their, their lives at that point. The doctor has is saying, Oh, I found Gallifrey. Yeah. And he's lying. And Clara is saying, Oh yeah. And, and uh, Danny came back to me and he, she's lying. And like their relationship for all of the damage it did to Clara and for all the benefit it gave to, uh, um, to, to uh, the doctor you know, basically helping him realize that he's not necessarily a good man or a bad man. He's just an idiot. Yeah. Um, so, like, you know, that is really powerful. That That's cool to see that the character arc not go the way you would expect. Mm -hmm. That's more, I think, true to real life. Um, but, of course, they're not done. The Christmas special, they basically, like, break into the credits and show you Nick Frost's Santa Claus, which is very exciting for me because I love Nick Frost. Um, is that at the end of the episode? Is this the conclusion of Danny Pink and all that stuff? Because yeah. okay, well, unless they do something, he's pretty not there anymore. Because then when they were talking about the casting, they're like, "Oh, is he the next companion?" I'm like, oh, I, I I don't know how they do that. I mean, it's possible that they find a way to give him a happy ending, but honestly, I don't think that's what they're going to do with her. I don't know that they're going to kill her off because it's pretty much the worst kept secret in the world. She's not coming back. Right? She had announced what early on in the series run that she yeah. was done after Christmas. Yeah, but then it kind of got. Pulled and uh, who knows? But long story short, whoever they do as the next companion, uh, it's, it, hopefully it's very different. Uh, I mean, I would, uh, if it's a woman, if it's a man, if it's a mix, like I don't care. 
But I, w- I do want to see them do something a little different than just, oh, it's another girl from modern England. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I would love to see him give an older companion because I think they gave a lot of good energy when they had Donna Noble for the Doctor. Um, and plus, with Capaldi being slightly older, I think bringing someone a little closer to his age might make it more interesting. Someone like River Song, I think, you know, even if they're not going to have River as his companion, but like somebody right. like that that kind of like really puts him on edge. I think that's that's always the best is when the companions find a way to challenge the Doctor in a believable way. Right. Um, but... Anyway, so the Doctor Who has been good. The new Christmas special is coming out uh, very soon. I know we had at least one fan ask if we're going to do another like Doctor Who thing, a uh, microsode at some point. We might. Uh, we'll see who wants to be involved. I know Nerdy Show is trying to do one as well. So between the two, something might be happening. Still waiting for that Hannibal slash Fargo know, mini episode. We do need to have that TV thing, uh, the TV roundup. Maybe at the end of the year, we can talk about the year's best shows. That could be. We'll have to talk about that. All right. Jared. Sorry, what? <laughs> um, have you been following the news at all? And specifically the gay news? No. Uh, what's, what's going gay on? Gay News Network, GNN. GNN, no. okay. Um, so we had a few people come out lately. Do you like country music? Yes, I saw the, uh, the, the young country star who I don't know who the hell he is. So I just know he's attractive. Billy Gilman? Who? Well, so there were two country stars that came out. Okay. One is Ty Herndon. Ty is a slightly older. I think he's had a career for like 20 years or so. And he's come out sort of not past his prime, but I saw at least one uh, person on Facebook say something like, it's not as brave when you come out after you've had a decent career run and you're an established figure. But um, but whatever. He came out. Good for him. Uh, and then, of course, following that, uh, in fact, almost I think it was the same day, Billy Gilman, who I remember my uh, my ex actually used to like buy his albums um, who's like a very young country singer, obnoxiously young, like just kind of like the male equivalent of Charlotte Church, if you know uh, yeah. who she is. Yeah, but but I actually like Charlotte Church. But um, he came out, and he's I believe he's in his twenties at this point, and still somewhat young in his career in the sense that he's not a as widely known as Ty. But he was inspired by Ty coming out and and made that decision. So so that's big if you're into those country music things. I honestly don't follow it as much but anytime someone comes out we celebrate them and say good job um other than that you know if we are following the gay news and in, in, in the in the in the atmosphere there were at least a few other states and court cases that were challenged of course here in florida we lost the uh election can't we, smoke pot can't smoke pot we still got that bitch pam bondi and Still got Lurch for another four years. Lurch Scott, Lurch Volta Scott. So we're not thrilled right now to be Florida. Um, the biggest thing, of course, is even though there have been court cases that have said no, gay should be allowed to marry, uh, the state has held them, uh, put a stay on them until the appeals go through. And, and, and Bondi's defense is that, well, we, we, made this decision however many years ago that we wanted to respect the definition of marriage and if if we're going to change that then we need to make sure we follow the letter of the law that we're doing the right thing and I mean, blah blah it's blah. hard it's harder to argue that she is basically enforcing the state's law except when you're the victim of this stupid constitutional change that the let's face it largely conservative 
state of Florida's vote, voter electric voted on. Don't um, worry, they'll all die out soon. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, the, the other problem is, and this is really what happened, the election statistics came out. This past election was the lowest nationally voter turnout voter turnout since World War II. Now you go. Well, was that during World War II when most of our yeah people think, that I, were I, able I, to vote I, were I overseas? So. I believe so. It's, it's that bad. Well, and so you might go. Well, that should hurt Democrats and Republicans alike. Well, actually, no. As it turns out, the Republican voter base is far more politically engaged than the and when I say base, I really mean the crazies than the Democratic voter base voter base, which are largely potheads and hippies. So the fact that you have a voter base that is, you know, fervently Republican, like that they're the ones who vote no matter what the election cycle is, no matter what issues are up, means that the non-presidential elections skew more Republican. But then it also then means the more like, you know, better representation of the voter base with the higher turnout for the presidential election skews more Democratic. So what that actually translates to if everybody just fucking voted, we would actually have a more Democrat-leading uh, outcome, at least the way things are going right now. That pretends well for the presidential election in two years, but unfortunately it means we have another four years of bullshit. Well, and I had heard this before the elections were building up, is that there were certain issues – I forget what they were, but there, there were certain things on the, on the, the left side that they weren't going – they weren't pumping as much budget into pursuing, and it all – Stem from the fact that this was a midterm election. Yeah. They were like, we're going to make it count more when we get to the next presidential election. We're going to let this one go and pursue it more in two years. And they still fought. They still tried to do a good voter turnout thing with the Democrats, but it just it just didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of sad. So long story short, gays get suppressed for another four years now. I mean, we'll see what the court case does. They may very well still get overturned. Suppression is a matter of speaking because four years ago where you were at – in the American political climate has drastically changed from where from oh, where you are overall, now. Yes, absolutely. But that's still a re- it's still enough of a regional issue. Right. That if I wasn't and I'm not living in an area where this has been overturned and I can get married, then, you know, it's just as bad as if everybody's like that. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's it's hard to think nationally. Hard to see the forest for the trees. Right, because all you're really governed by are the trees around you. Right. So it's just whatever. But we'll keep fighting the good fight. Now, we actually have had some viewers, viewers, listeners, occasionally viewers. Um, we've been interacting and actually helping uh, out a little bit with the Orlando Gay Geek Group on Facebook, which is a gratuitous plug. If you're in the Central Florida area, you should check us out on Facebook. Orlando Gay Geeks. Um, I don't think the group is private, but if it is, let me know on Facebook and we'll get you hooked up. We actually just uh, attended a eight-way this, this sounds, I know, we're kept saying it. Um, Smash Brothers tournament. Smash, Super Smash Brothers for the Wii U. Yes. Which can support up to eight players local. Yes, and which we're going to talk about here very shortly, I promise. Very shortly. We're getting there. But we uh, put the call out to the group. And we said, hey, we have some, we have a time for questions. We'd like to get some questions. What do you want to know? What do you want us to talk about? And we'll give you a shout out. And one of my friends, actually, BJ. You know, just like Oral has a lovely name for <laughs> BJ for and Oral. Man. man, those guys should get together. That exactly. bet they'd have fun. Um, and at Big Jared Geek, shakes his head, but he agrees. Well, of course. So he had actually a few good questions, and we're the whole group came up with tons of questions. So we're going to be doling these out over the next few episodes. 
Um, and I'm really excited. Well, in the sense that some of them will, will be coming back to when Eric and Oral are here, we'll be revisiting. But there were a few that I really wanted to talk about a little bit because they're kind of interesting. The first one is actually very relevant because it's talking to, well, the question is, what superheroes have had successful relationships? And I want to take a step back and look at what that means. Because honestly, Webster's Dictionary defines no, 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 a relationship no. as. I want to I say, what does it mean to have a successful relationship? If your relationship lasts for 15 years, and during those 15 years, for the most part, it's successful in the sense that you don't kill each other and that you build up equity together and then you enjoy each other's company for most of that or some of that time or whatever. Like, is that a successful relationship, even though it ends? I mean, obviously, if it is a misery fest the entire time and there's all kinds of terrible things, maybe not. But the point is, in comic books, we have characters like Peter Parker and Mary Jane. They were married. They had kids in some continuities. And yet, eventually... They're not together anymore. Jose Casada decided that, you know, that's stale. For whatever reason. Yeah. I mean, the idea, I think, in, in a superhero world is you, you need to show options. You, these characters need to have the ability to be different and to have different like people to play off of. So if you marry them off, they become boring. Right. The, Lois Lane is Superman. Same thing. In fact, not, right now, Superman's hooked up with Wonder Woman. Is that still happening? Yeah, still no. happening. Wow. So, like... What does it mean to have a successful relationship? Um, other ones, though, that have had relationships, of course, I think probably one of the most successful are the Dibneys. And you might go, "Who the hell? I mean, are the Dibneys? I mean, did they do? You, did they resurrect Sue in the new continuity? No, but look at their relationship. No, they haven't brought either one back, as far as I know. So the elongated man was. Uh, it was. It was the Fantastic Four's Invisible Girl and and Mister Fantastic knockoff yeah, in, in DC. Kind of. I think they might have predated. I don't remember. Um, but anyway, they were basically together from their entire run. I think in the beginning they were sort of just dating, but then they quickly got married. And it took killing her off in uh, in Identity Crisis. For their quote unquote relationship to end, but so, it also took killing her off to make those two characters relevant. Well, that's true too. That's the other thing is, can you really give credit to a superhero relationship because it, they didn't appear in stories or at least as a factor in stories for many years because nobody thought they were very interesting? Yeah. How about Apollo and Midnighter? I don't know much about them. Apollo and Midnighter have pretty much been together almost from the beginning. I think. I think either, and this might be when they brought him back for the new 52, I, this is where it gets a little murky, but there was a period where they were sort of courting, but I think they originally were created together. As a couple, yeah. Oh, As yeah. a couple. Back in the authority? Yeah. And, yeah. and they, they see, they had an adopted child together, uh, Jenny Quantum, um, but also they, um, I know they had some, like, not breakups, but they certainly, like, one of them got killed or one of them was whatevered and... They are now currently not together because Midnighter's off kind of following Dick around. Literally, yeah. Grayson. Um, but, um, so, but, but yeah, I think in their best incarnations, they were a successful relationship. I mean, the amount of drama that was depicted between the two, which is potentially a measure for success if you don't have a lot of drama all the time and things are pretty mundane, mm -hmm. that's actually, I think, successful, even if for some people that's boring. Um, and what about, uh, what is it, uh, Hulkling and Wiccan from Young Avengers? And they have been together for most of the time, with a little bit of drama in the last incarnation, certainly. 
Um, but that was resolved successfully, and they're they're still together. Do you define this relationship as completely a sexual one? No, it doesn't. Can have you be because in the more recent continuities, Rocket Raccoon and Groot, what you would say are a successful relationship, like Abbott and Costello. Exactly. Yes, it's a buddy, a buddy, a, a co- bromance, a bromance. There you go. Um, there are shit, however many of those in comic books you look at. I mean, what Green Arrow and Flash. Uh, yeah, Superman, Batman. Super, well, they've tended to err on the side of they're always antagonistic towards each other. There's, or there's, they go back and forth. They're, right. they're frenemies. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, yeah. No, I, I know what you're saying. Uh, I, mean, I mean, that's the other problem, ultimately, is it depends on you just got to wait for that one writer to come along and go, fuck this, I want something different. Well, and that's right. That's why I think the default state of a, of a superhero character, at least in the romantic sense, is single and available. Right. But even in the sort of loyalty is your best friend, whatever. Keeping their it's options It's drama. Open. You yeah. want there to be... If everybody always gets along and everything's always peachy awesome... There's no sense of struggle, conflict. It's boring. And that was honestly like, okay, in, in recent years when Hawkeye came back and when they had Mockingbird. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Well, not yet. They didn't, they had like Mockingbird, they had the scroll, and but Clint was just pining for her and wanting her to be back and missed her so much and then you know end of secret invasion she gets off the ship and it's for like that run for uh what's his name the jim mccann jim mccann's yeah. miniseries by the end of that miniseries they were broken up yeah it's like yeah. okay thank yeah. you and for he's that. a huge fan of them being together right but again a writer has to say sometimes this is not as interesting if they're not fighting, if they're not struggling, if there's not drama. I mean, look at soap operas. Same thing. Find me, and, and Pat could actually answer this one because he's, he's pretty knowledgeable about soap operas. Mm-hmm. He could say, like, well, what are the most successful characters in soap operas? And I bet there's only a few. Did you ever watch... Uh, relationships, you, I should say. Do you watch the uh, New Girl? No. Well, the show has been on for coming... It's on its, season, its fourth season right now. And they did the whole beginning of the show. There was a... You know, Zoe Deschanel and Jake Johnson uh, were the two male, the two, the two main leads that they kind of like hinted at being some kind of chemistry. By the end of season two, they f- pulled the trigger. They're together. Season three, the creator of the show, who's like the main writer, said, "I didn't know what to do because right. I have them you together." You paint yourself into a corner. Well, and you have con, you need to have conflict to make the the script. And in a relationship like that, one person has to be the quote-unquote bad guy. Yep. So how do you do that and keep both characters likable? 
and everybody agreed that season three was terrible because yeah. nothing happened. When X Files paired up Moldy, Moldy, Moldy and Scalder, yes, <laughs> Scully and Mulder, which is what everybody wanted. Guess what happened? It became boring, so they had to basically write him off the show to have their happily ever after. And then they brought in these two agents that didn't get along, and it was still not great, but it was whatever. And then they, of course, you know, have to end it with some potential drama too. And now that they're back, well, they're back in comic form, but even with that second movie, it wasn't all wine and roses. I mean, right. it, was, it was a struggle. There so, was some estrangement. Yeah, I mean, this is just how you do it. So Now, uh, to give a complete different example, uh, even though we're not on comic books, in the realm of Friends, oh boy. the show Friends, yeah. when they made the creation of Ross and Rachel and how uh-huh. it was so, oh my God, it was so roller coastery. when they paired up Matthew Perry and Courtney Cox, uh-huh. they made it as the exact opposite. And they had a solid, good relationship. From then, they showed the progression all the way through. They dated, they lived together, they got married, and by the end, they had kids. And there was never any kind of relationship drama, right? That wasn't easily solvable or just well, some. And here's so, what here's what I maintain because this is what other people have said. Now, admittedly, I'm not a I'm not a writer like I'd like to be. You know, I've not had this problem yet, but I do believe that a really good writer can make. A family or a relationship that that ultimately ends well work. Hickman did it with his Fantastic Four run. Yes. He absolutely gave drama, put conflict in among uh, Mr. Fantastic, Reed Richards and his wife and his family, estranging them from each other. But by the end, it built it into a stronger, more cohesive whole. That arc is a good arc and it works and it can be done, but it takes a writer to commit to that sort of longer story. Right. And you don't see that as often. James Robinson is doing it somewhat with Fantastic Four right now. Uh, even Hickman, who uses the fantastic characters in uh, the Reed and Sue in the new Avengers and Avengers, is playing with that idea by putting them at odds at first. Right. And then revealing over the course that, oh, actually, they're not. Like, she's basically just kind of a double agent. You know, I don't know if you've been keeping up with the... Haven't read a single book. I've been running every time I have a free moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's a good question. And thank you for BJ for asking that. Another one is, uh, is diversity in film and comics pandering to audiences, i.e. changing race of heroes, uh, ethnic uh, or sexuality? Is that pandering or does that actually sort of give a more diverse experience, appeal to a broader base? Etc. I like to think back to Miles Morales and what my, Brian Michael Bendis said when he created uh, Miles Morales as a black Spider-Man. He's like, I want there to be these kind of characters that were for me, you know, a little kid from Brooklyn or a little Jewish boy like, you know, Ben Grimm or whatever. I want that for my children. He actually has uh, some adopted children who are black. Or mixed race. So he is trying to intentionally diversify certain characters like that, uh, like Takio, which is his children's book, uh, and other projects to have a more relatable set of characters. So in that sense, I don't think it's pandering. I think it is a, a desire to have a more of a multicultural approach to stories. And I don't think that's a bad thing. It's a slippery slope. Well, and then you get to the thing like the new Fantastic Four reboot, and they're making Johnny Storm black. There's nothing wrong with an African-American Johnny Storm, or, or I should say there's nothing wrong with an African-American character 
who plays that role. But, you know, coming from that continuity, sort of like that, you know, I still sort of weird about the fact that Samuel Jackson's Nick Fury, you know, like Nick Fury to me is white. He's an old white grumpy yeah. soldier. But you can blame that all on Mark Miller. Absolutely. But and he chose because he just thought that was badass to have Samuel Jackson look, you know, look alike. But I mean, you know, I don't know in either case if it's pandering. Like I don't think he Mark Miller made that choice to pander to the African American community. I think he did it because he just thought it was badass. I think that in today's market, you can appreciate it in both senses. You can appreciate it in the hopeful expectation that it's not pandering, that they're doing it because they want to try to have a more diverse, you know, multicultural experience yeah. than, than that has been in Hollywood and in comic books and in games and in TV shows. Because games still have a very oh. penis-driven market. You Gamergate. Don't, the closest thing you see to an empowered female character in games right now is Bayonetta. And yeah. she's already buck naked with hair covering her body. And she is not buck naked. She buck naked. She just got a lot of hair. No, she's wearing a skin tight outfit made of hair. Hair? I don't know. Her I, own hair. Honestly, I don't know. Which means, hair. man. Well, that's a okay. Hairy so bush. We, we said the naughty word, and we haven't dug into Gamergate in this show in any tangible. Well, way. it's kind of. It's a it charge seems like such issue. a stupid topic. It's, it, it is and it, it isn't. Because like I kind of thought at first it was a big tempest in a teapot. There are some idiots out there basically trolling uh, to, to start these kind of fights and to question journalistic integrity and all this stuff, which, of course, has given rise to the hilarious memes mm -hmm. that have come out with, you know, like... Hitler up there on or no? What's I don't I try to remember one of my favorite ones, but basically any kind of sort of not at all related to anything gamer, and then they'll slap on this thing that says, but it's about journalist integrity anyway. Um, but that gets to that same issue is that you know why are certain people so challenged by diversity? You know what about? Because I don't like change, and I want my thing to be the same that it's always been, and I don't well, want it to be any different. Yes. Uh, on a much higher level, this is all about the culture of attachment that we have towards things that we have you know, an emotional attachment to. Right. We I had Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes. This is, this is why I had such a visceral reaction when the movie came out, and I disagreed with some of the choices they made. Because I had what I grew up with, and that was the only thing I but wanted. This is this is something that I've I've been trying to at least argue with people is that they have to understand that these abstracts, these uh, intellectual property things, they're organic. They're not these things that are set in stone. Well, also they they're not theirs. Yeah, they're not the person. They're not well, the appreciator's property. So I want to I want to go back uh, historical, and I think you you'll agree and you'll 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 appreciate this. Mm -hmm. Look at the Greek mythology. Yeah. Greek mythology was owned and modified many, many times over by different authors, different people appropriating these, these characters in different ways, so much so that then when the Romans adopted that system, they changed all of their names and origins mm -hmm. and everything. So imagine all of your favorite Marvel characters, DC characters, whatever, taken over by a whole different company. Getting a no, reboot. A whole different civilization, like a whole different culture, <laughs> and completely jerked around with so that they're almost unrecognizable until you go back and study and go, well, actually, no, this is that, mm -hmm. this is that. Christianity has done that to many different faiths, mostly pagan, but what have you, and taken and appropriated their beliefs 
and converted them and sort of used them as a way to talk to tie into their mythology. Mm-hmm. Like it's an easier sell that way, right? So the fact that let's let's dub that back. What, what did you just say there, Jacell? It's, it's it's an easier sell. Yes, very good. So it is about profit, and that is where it could be a bit of a pandering thing. But again, I think there are individual creators out there who feel, for whatever reason, that it's important to have diversity. Well, see, and that was the part, the second part of the whole thing when I started with, you know, some people have the hopeful expectation, but then there is the other side of the coin of, in a business, and all of these things that we can be professional appreciators of are still businesses. They're going to want... What's the best way that we can market yeah. this idea to as many people as possible? What's the demographic we don't have yet? Well, when you have certain things like comics and, and movies getting more of an audience overseas than ever before. And what is one way to market to other parts of the world? Have more diversity. You have now an African-American Captain America. You have a female Thor. You have uh, what else? Uh, there's probably a few other examples, but those are the most recent. Oh, you have uh, what race is the new Miss Marvel? Oh, uh, uh, she's Pakistani. Pakistani. Like, but see, that at least is a new character. So where I tend to fall is instead of, but like we said, this is going to happen anyway. You're going to change things. But when you can try to create these new things in the world, like Miss Marvel, who does appropriate an older character. But is it a unique individual? Right. And beautifully highlights Pakistani, at least family culture, if not a little bit of the religious sort of ideals. I mean, like, that's the best way to do it. Don't just, like, make so-and-so gay. Like, because that could be, that may not be organic. Like, that's just whatever. It's up to the individual writer to pull it off. Let's see. But, who who in the mutant universe have we not dealt with in a long time that we could easily pass off as North Star? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, totally gay this whole time. But instead, do something like what Dan Parent did with Kevin Keller. Create a brand new, from whole cloth, archy character who, once he's integrated into the whole world... Feels like he's been there forever, mm-hmm. and make him what you were trying to, you know, the, sto- the character you're trying to tell, the story you're trying to do. So that's much harder to sell. Well, yes, and that's where it comes to your uh, sort of a perfect storm of good art, good storytelling, and luck, and and some marketing. But um, you know, it, it is much easier just to take existing characters, and, mm-hmm. and and that's what we're seeing now with Marvel. Some of what DC is doing as well. So let's move on. A couple more questions. Uh, do we... Well, and this kind of goes to the same thing, so maybe we won't get into this, but do we want more gay superheroes? If they're gay for the sake of being gay, no. If they're gay and it's done in a good manner and it fits a story that they want to tell, sure. I mean, I would certainly like to see several things. I want to see more stuff like Midnight and Apollo, or Midnight or Apollo. Because they're a good example of a successful gay relationship characters. But I actually also kind of want to see this, like, I guess for lack of a better term, complete whore. Like, slutty, kind of your awful version of some gay stereotypes that is a superhero in his own right. But also is just a complete and total, like, just like he uses people. He's always looking for gratification. Like... I would like to see a character like that out there running around. Oh, is this kind of like the... Did you ever see the Patton Oswalt bit about the gay best friend? 
about how the gay best friend was always the sage of amazing advice. Yes, and, and how they were going to have him he's play like, that. Yeah, he's like, no, if I'm going to play the gay best friend, I want to play him just completely idiotic and stupid and he can always he can't always think of what he wants to say and he always offers bad advice yeah it's like turn the the cliche on its ear yes uh, i know plenty of gay men who fit that mold yeah. well of course we do and that's why i think it should because be you're a regular fucking person exactly. you know exactly well and, and superheroes need to have more multifaceted natures they can't always be good they can't always be bad like the doctor, he's he's not just good, he's not just bad, he's somewhere in between. That's all of us. And comics way too often stick to archetypes and sort of, you know, if they give a character sort of a tragic or not even tragic, but a, a turning character, like they're doing now in Inversion. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Like, it has to be organic, and I feel like what they're doing in Inversion is, is not. But, um, so yeah, I think we could always have more gay superheroes and, and actual ones that sort of have mainstream success would be nice. But again, that takes good storytelling, good art, good good all that. Mm. Uh, finally, and this is, I know, something that uh, I've had at least a few people sort of come to me asking or, I don't know, they, they seem a little sad or just maybe they, they're frustrated would be a better word. Uh, is it, is, oh well, is it hard for a gay nerd to date uh, outside of nerddom? In other words, can you find a relationship uh, as a, a self-identified nerd or geek with someone who may not share those same proclivities? I would say no. Um, it might be difficult to try to engage with somebody who does not have the same interests as you. Um, I've had many of those episodes where I've tried to engage someone in conversation and all they want to talk about is money and cars and I really don't care any of anything about any of that. Go on. <laughs> Tell me more. Tell me about your big monies and cars. <laughs> I love all the monies and the cars. Yes. <laughs> Did I mention that I want to be an artist? I also have monies and cars. <laughs> I would love to enjoy your monies and cars. Um, but I mean, like, I, okay, so I haven't had that many relationships. <laughs> but certainly... Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Listen. <laughs> but I am saying right now, certainly, being with someone who shares not all, by any means, but a lot more interests gives you an organic way of bonding and cementing a relationship. Because even though they say opposites attract... That's bullshit. That's that bullshit. does not Such mean <laughs> that it makes it easy to live and deal with... As I found out with my previous relationship. Opposites attract in that they attract a, a quick flash relationship. Right. Opposites attract, but they do not stick. It is easier sometimes to be entranced and allured by an opposite because they do have something that is wholly different from yourself. It's However... The seduction of the unknown. Exactly. But the longer term success, I think, in relationships... It has to include common interest. Now, can you find or date outside of nerddom? Well, yes, because it is to the point now that even if your person you're looking for is like some random whatever on the street, they don't go to comic book stores, they don't do nerdy things, they don't play online games, that does not mean... They're not passionate about something. That, and it doesn't mean they don't have a passing interest either. Um, you certainly can, and, and, and I think, again, in good relationships, you can 
expose your partner to other things that then they may find out actually they really like. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a, constantly a thing you can, you can, uh, you can find. But, but dating, I would say, in certain ways is somewhat tough outside of your own social circle. Mm-hmm. It, it can be challenging. Mm-hmm. And especially for nerds who tend to isolate themselves culturally and, and don't go out to the clubs and bars where you're seeking other people is going to sort of limit your selection. Well, that's that that's kind of it. It's even coming from a straight perspective. If you're expecting to find someone outside of, as the question states, outside of the nerddom, if you're trying to find someone like that, but leading with your nerd card, then you're probably not going to have success. Well, because some people might be, they just don't get it. Well, also, they, they want they, they, they want to find a common ground. And if they're not a part of that kind of culture, and you're saying, this is who I am, this is what you need to accept about me, like, but that's, you're not meeting them halfway. Well, I, I have to, to bark at the, the whole notion of being a nerd, and that conjures up someone who is a uh, constant uh, devourer of popular culture, and that is not the case. And that's the problem I have, yes. too, is that people identify with this term so much now, and, and so many people that I know are like, oh, you're a nerd. Like, no, I'm not. Don't call me that. I'm, I'm, first off, I'd rather be a geek than a nerd, but... I'd rather be neither of these because I'm a person. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I like those things doesn't mean that that's what I want to identify it doesn't, as. It doesn't, I, it doesn't define me. Right. Well, and it's like I had a real problem with my work environment when I started there and they introduced me as, oh, and this is Brian. He's gay. And it's like, <laughs> well, you know, that is one thing about me. And certainly it's a big thing. But I wouldn't say that that is that the is one your thing. defining characteristic. And that's... people who may only read my Facebook, even if it's maybe family members, may disagree with this. But it's not all I post about. It's not all I'm interested in is gay things. Just nonstop with that. Just gay, 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 gay. <laughs> but it's like if you get to know me, you'll realize there's many other things that I am passionate about. But what I take away from the nerd nerddom is not so much that you are into pop culture or you're into this but that you have a passion about something or a set of things yes you can be a music nerd you can be Absolutely. a fitness nerd At, right right getting there i mean it's a hobby but it's just as much of a hobby as anything else is but you're you're passionate and articulate and you you i'm educated you edu- about it exactly yes. but see that's yes. not a com- i mean there are of course a lot of people who do that i'm not saying it's not common but that can make you nerdy in your own right mm-hmm. When that is something that is so consuming for part of your life that you can speak eloquently about it. Because there are a lot of people out there who don't have that passion for one or two things. They have things that they like to do. They have this and that. We have a term for them. What's that? Posers. Well, that's when they try to. <laughs> anyway, long story short. And that applies to any field. Long story short, it is a challenge, I think, sometimes today outside there. But what you should do is try to reach outside of your own comfort zone and of your own interests and find common ground with other people and then see who you attract, see who attracts you. I mean, you know, see what happens and right. then go from there. For the same way that you want somebody to outside of the your group of interests that you want them to be able to come in and see your interests and not be freaked out, have the same <laughs> idea for theirs. We think we talked about that in one episode about at what point do you reveal your the extent of your geekiness yes. or your, your at what I point mean, do if, you show them your Doctor Who collection is really what it comes down to. That's, that's I mean, like I, throwing a dick pic out there or you know, like, like the first couple text messages. That's well, unless you got a service you're on that. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying, unless you got it pretty well hidden by the first time they come back to your place. 
unless you've just got a, a Christian Bale American psycho looking apartment, they're going to notice when you see posters so and statues. They have very meticulously minimalist. That's like a thing. But hidden all of their passions and make it so that it's very bland and you have I, I, no idea what my interests are. And, and I just, I can't live like that. I, I like would, fine art and monies and cars. When you come to my house, <laughs> the first thing you see are pictures of, of Pat and I with different celebrities that we like, a giant Lego tower of Orthanc. Yeah, but take uh, it back even further than that. When you and Pat first got to know each other, I'm pretty sure that when he walked in your old house, he saw geeky stuff. Well, and the first thing I saw really of his that stood out was like a a, a, a painting of uh, or artist thing of um, a Jean Grey and Cyclops. There you go. Like you know, these are the totems that we put around ourselves to either inspire us or to remind us that there are things that we you know we like and we want to display about ourselves. I mean, it's part of our self expression. So, you know, don't hide it. Yes, and, and do try to get out of your comfort zone. You know, maybe, maybe, just maybe, the, the cute guy that you spot in, in you know, like a, a club somewhere may be, you know, a, a pop culture fan. He's just too shy and timid to admit to it. Exactly. Yeah. That happens a lot. So um, thank you for the questions. We have more we'll be uh, dipping back into over the course of uh, some episodes, but thanks for that. And uh, if you have any questions you would like to ask, you can post them on Facebook. Uh, you can also tweet at us at Flame On Podcast. And we all have emails, although they rarely get utilized. Uh, pretty much any of us at flameonshow.com is available. Now, I do want to talk about the video games, specifically uh, the Smash Brothers. The Smash, the Brothers of Smash. The Brothers of Smash, because this is the new hotness. All Nintendo fans and, and non-Nintendo fans, but people... Smash Brothers is a cultural phenomenon. Do you have a problem? Settle it and smash. Well, and that's good if you're good at it. I'm not. I'm not. I'm awful. I'm good with bad characters. Like what? Respectable. Ganondorf. <laughs> oh, man, he's sweet, though. I like Ganondorf. He's got that big charge Ganondorf. kick. Oh, that's a nice move. So they, they've released it now for the 3DS, and they've released it just this past week for the Wii U. And the 3DS originally was rumored to have some kind of a feeder system where, like, you could play it on the 3DS and then somehow some data would merge into your profile on Wii U. That got thrown out pretty yeah, quickly. Yeah, that kind of bums me out because I'm spending a lot of time on the 3DS unlocking characters. Yeah, you got to do it all over again and for Wii U. that's kind of what I found out. And I was like, oh, that sucks. But what is nice, what is kind of cool, although it's, you know, fairly basic. But for the 8-way that we did the other night. Giggity. Uh, yeah, yeah, We, um... We actually brought our 3DSs. I uh, brought mine. Uh, our friends Eric and Adam brought theirs and other random people from the group who came. And it was really simple to just add them into the system. It's using your 3DS as a controller right. but for the also, Wii U game. You can also import your characters that way, too. Right. Now, of course, at the same time as this is all coming out, Nintendo is putting out their Skylander slash Disney Infinity characters called amiibo it's the near field what's the term oh that's right it's near field not rfid uh near field yeah nfc chip nfc chip so it lets you basically you get this cute little figurines collectible whatever and they're pretty well made they're not cheaply made i actually think they look really good um compared to especially some of the very cartoony ones from disney and skylanders is a little different i mean they've been doing this forever but um theirs are certainly a little cheaper i think but um and it saves your character data. And so you can basically have this character that you've built up and you've got... Because, you know, Smash Bros., you, like, level and you, you get stat changes and all this other stuff as you play the you, character. You can, you can do little tweaks to your yeah. characters. The uh, They're called Amiibos. Amiibo, yeah. A Nintendo Amiibo. Not Amiibo. 
and not amino. Amiibo. Similar, yeah. Sort of weird organic proteins. But it's it's basically it's a uh, the easiest way to describe it is a little pocket fighter because you don't with the character you buy like I bought a Fox McCloud I don't ever play as this specific Fox McCloud I've I've added some things I've given him a little bit more uh, defense than the normal Fox McCloud might have but it's an entirely AI it's an it's a fighter on its own you, you don't, don't get to level him up at all like you just kind of you don't tweak you him d- and... well you don't level him up by playing as him okay, okay. you play with him like you can fight him uh, but does that level him up if yes. you fight him okay yeah. so basically letting him fight even if he's only fighting against the CPU and i think a lot of people were confused i mean certainly i was confused so when you take him and you bring him to a smash tournament he acts as a CPU character yeah it's almost like cockfighting except you have a little Digital version of cockfighting. That's what the amiibo is. Only like using it. their own characters. There was a South Park episode about that. Really? It was about Magic the Gathering and cockfighting. Oh, my God. That's so perfect. <laughs> um, the other thing is that what's really cool about the amiibo is pretty much any game can take advantage of it. It's not like Disney Infinity where you have to have the Disney Infinity game. If you buy the Link amiibo, you can actually plug that into Mario Kart and race as Link. And you plug it into Hyrule Warriors and you get a spinner. Which, and you get the whatever. spinner weapon. Which but, cool, but, yeah. but that's the thing. It's up to Nintendo now to add in the content in future games to take advantage of these things. Or make it available to other publishers to use for their own purposes, too. I and, mean, yeah, and that's whatever. the thing. Because in the new Smash Brothers, you have Sonic. You have Mega Man. Right. You have other licensed characters. Uh, Pac-Man. So it's up to these other companies to throw in some content if you have the amiibo of them and new companies could come along and make their own so it's really cool um i'm excited to play it on the wii u i don't have it yet i'm waiting till black friday but uh need to hurry up because every time i hop online and i look at my nintendo network i see nobody else online to play against it's kind of how it is with the 3ds when i jump on i mean i have a bunch of friends now but I usually jump on late at night or something, so no one's playing. I'm, I'm kind of. I was going to buy the 3DS version of this, but then they went ahead and announced that the new Nintendo 3DS was coming out. Yeah. And then Majora's Mask is coming out. Oh yeah. So I'm just going to wait until they bundle that together next spring, <laughs> and just get that. Well, that's a big game. I also bought the Batman Three. Oh, is it good? Uh, yeah. It's I've, fun. I've heard they throw everybody under the fucking sun in that game. Well, so far I have see Batman and Robin. With different suits. They have composite Batman in there. Uh, yeah, they do a lot of classic stuff. Burt, uh, not Burt Ward, uh, West, Adam West. You're always trying to rescue him. Oh, okay. He kind of takes the place of Stan Lee. And, and the general bystander or citizen from Lego Batman 2. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's already a space thing, so I've gone up and I'm fighting... Um, Brainiac? Brainiac. But I'm on the surface of the watchtower, so I can alternate between Batman, Green Lantern, and Flash, I think. Or, or Cyborg, maybe. Like, they're just basically throwing all the Justice League in there. Okay. You eventually get to play as, like, Wonder Woman, Superman, you know, Lex Luthor, all the villain. Like, they throw everybody in. So, so far, so good. It's very much a traditional Lego game. So, if you like those kind of games, it's what you expect. Fucking frustrating at times because I can't figure out what they are trying to get you to do. Like yeah. the way the, the scene is laid out, you can't quite appreciate that you can climb here or do this. It's like even though you spend so much time, if you're a real a thorough Lego player, you spend so much time going over the levels again and finding everything, you waste so much time on the first playthrough of all the story missions 
just trying to get through every roadblock you hit. Yeah, it's it's frustrating, but uh, but it's fun. And there's a bunch of more games coming out. I know Jared's excited to play Dragon Age Inquisition. I am too. I've posted that gay sex scene. Yes, yes. Everyone talks about the Iron Bowl. Oh, well, I mean, not only kind of a cool character, but that that he is, uh, I guess. Uh, a potential suitor for your character is this kind of nice. Uh, I'm just excited because I love the universe they created with that series. I played the first one, Origins, I think, and I really enjoyed it, but I didn't finish it, which I really should probably do that. And then I heard the second one was just kind of a, a letdown, yeah, not not as good. Bland. The second one was a true-to-form cash-in for Bioware. If they've ever had a cash-in, that was it. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure if I even bother, I will finish or even play that. But, but what's nice about the new one is that you can import your stuff in the sense that you don't have to have played it completely. You can just kind of go through what you say, like a choose your own adventure yeah, you, type thing. They, and, they give you a list of all the choices, not even major choices. Could be minuscule little, did you give this bar wench enough money to start her own pub right. in the first game? Uh, little choices all the way through, and you can craft your own story. So of even how if you you, want you, to be. you you kind of regret certain decisions, you want to try something different, you can do that with the system they've set up. So that's kind of a nice way to honor that. Um, I've been I, I've been playing Shadow of Mordor. I heard that was okay. I I, I don't it was know. Fun. It, it got mixed reviews, so I wasn't sure. I haven't seen any bad reviews. I've seen a lot of like it's good or it's great. I haven't seen any. It's not. Huh. I don't know. I forgot which one I was reading, but that and Alien Isolation. I heard both. Isolation. The main complaint I heard about Alien Isolation was that it went on too long. Ah, it was well. a good game in the first few hours, but the game is like twenty hours long. Oh wow! And a majority of that is the unfair. Like alien can drop, like you're hiding in a locker and the alien shows up behind you. Like, there's no reason why the alien should be behind you, and yet it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, no. Shadow of Mordor was good. If you like Assassin's Creed, you uh, move in the game like you're in Assassin's Creed. So it's a lot of climbing and traversing. Got and, it. But then well, the you're combat. A yeah, you're a ranger inside of Mordor, who got killed at the beginning of the game and is trying to get vengeance. It takes place between so you're the basically Hobbit. Ghost Rider in the. Tolkien universe. Kind of, sort of. Spirit but of vengeance is mo- mo- motivating you. The and... spirit that's grafted itself onto you is like a former elven king. Oh. So. Is, oh, is it? What's his name's character from uh, Hobbit? That'd be cool no. if it was... Uh, uh, Lee Pace? Yeah, Lee Pace's character. No, it's the guy who crafted the Nine Rings, who oh, was tricked oh. by Sauron into making them. Oh, wow. Go cool. Um but yeah, no, it's good. And like the combat plays like the Batman Arkham Asylum games. Yeah. So it's all the counter system and all that. It's fun, and, and it's actually you give more of a, a shit about the side stories than you do the main story, just because the main story is very kind of plain. Yeah. Get revenge. Blah. It looks like I, I check it out, and you're playing on the PC. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm kind of curious, and I kind of want to get back into. It. I bought Titanfall finally for like twenty bucks on the PC. And hey, we can actually play it on PC. Yeah. I have that too. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I've, I've just done the tutorial. Oh it's yeah, me fun. too. It's cute. I mean, I'm I'm enjoying it. Um, playing so yeah, playing Master Chief Collection. All those old Halo games. It's fun. I I, I never realized how much the things have changed from Halo One to Halo Four, but they really have. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. And the matchmaking is a bit. Uh, you've I'm sure you've read that they're. I guess they launched the game without a full understanding of what the multiplayer uh, needs would be. Uh huh. So there's been a lot of hiccups trying to get the multiplayer going well yeah for some reason they a lot of games lately have been coming out not 100 percent complete oh assassin's creed unity and, and at least and it partly could be now that you have the ability to patch things pretty easily it's also lazy development well because no, they're de- not lazy development. lazy is not the right term i mean having uh, 
crazy production teams and crazy expectations for third party yes. for for triple yes. A titles. Yes, it's it's independent games yeah. can get away with having a longer wait time, but the problem is you're going to come to this point when consumers just stop buying games on day one. And they start waiting to see if the game kind of like operating systems, right? But this is the thing about software production. I don't want to go into this big, but you know, doing it myself, it's one of those things where you, you, if you have a hard deadline and you can't meet it, you cut features. And there is a point where you have your producers too. Well, I know it does. Look at Bioshock Infinite. My God, the game is buggy. But it's it's just I'll tell you, software production is one of the hardest things. And it actually amazes me that like physical production actually ever goes as well as it does because there's a lot of similar things going on. Anyway, long story short, that does not matter to us. You guys don't care about that. But I will say, speaking on what we talked about, Shadow of Mordor yep. didn't hear a single thing about glitches huh. when the game came out. Well, that's good. That's proven because that came out within the last few months, unlike Far Cry 4 and Assassin's Creed Unity, came out with... I, I have not heard any kind of news about yeah. broken things in the game or the game not working. I mean, I'm sure there are, but they're minor. Right, yeah. minor, and that's fine. That's If the game plays, that's all you want. Yeah, I mean, little things you're usually more forgiving about. But All right, we're not going to go through all of our comic stuff because, quite frankly, of the, the three of us, I'm the only one reading. Pretty much. I do want to touch on a couple things. First of all, uh, Multiversity is out. Uh, this has been coming out from Grant Morrison in DC. It is Grant's probably last big superhero thing he's doing, but it delves into all of these sort of DC universes that are out there, specifically older characters, uh, like the Charlton characters that were the basis of the Watchmen series. The, uh, he's doing a Shazam series coming up. Shazam! He's got the Earth 2 sort of Justice, uh, society stuff in there. I mean, He's playing with a lot of these kind of cool, not obscure, but certainly not the major DC characters, or he's doing analogs of the major DC characters in other universes. And there is this whole weird thing that is a possessed comic book, and like there's this whole other thing going on through the event. Hmm. But I want to talk about Pax Americana. Um, if you really want to hear maybe a little bit more in-depth thing, again, Comic Book Bears, we just talked about this. I'm not sure when it'll come out, but it, it is out there. Uh, if you like the Watchmen, and and I, and I only read a snippet of it before the show, and it is very much like the Watchmen. Also, if you like Frank Quitely's art and Morrison together, like when they did Flex Mentallo or the All Star Superman, like when they work together, it is just amazing. Like there's just a synchronicity between the two that it's probably one of the most. I think it's not prolific, certainly, but it's one of the most special pairings of artist writer. Uh, out there. I mean, there are other ones, I'm sure. And it's super clean, quietly, yeah, too. It almost throws you off like you don't think it's Frank Quietly because it doesn't have that same kind of look to it. His style has sort of changed a little bit, but it still has that frenetic sort of energy, and his, his body postures are sometimes hilarious, but um, it, it's still great. And, and I'll tell you right now, this is a comic that, you know, even if you don't know Watchmen, that's fine, but read it once. Put it down. Go back to it, like maybe the next day or something. Maybe whatever. Give it some time. Revisit it a few times. Maybe read it backwards. Well, and actually, I would say read it backwards because there is some time sort of hijinks going on in terms of storytelling. The other thing is there's certain like splash pages where if you actually sit there and kind of look at the structure of the pages, it's a lot of it is uh, four uh, two four by four grids, which again is it's eight. 
and eight is actually prominently featured in the whole ep- uh, issue. But Watchmen was a uh, nine-panel grid. So he is, in some ways, if you're familiar with Watchmen and if you're familiar with sort of the dialectic between Alan Moore and Grant Morrison in terms of their views of superheroes, mm-hmm. you're going to get even more out of it. So it's one of these gifts that keeps on giving. The more you revisit it with new insight, the more you'll get out of it. I'm just really thrilled. But the whole series has been great. Um, and again, next month is the Shazam one, so I'm very excited. Uh, DC's got a lot of stuff going on. Of course, they're leading up to this big thing called Convergence. Which they'll finally dust off the old 52 and throw it back in the mix. And- it's going to be like a Super Smash Brothers-ish sort of thing with sort of B and C level writers and editors. And it's basically what they call the Band-Aid because they're going to be moving offices from New York to uh, California. So... uh yeah, I don't know what to think of it. I'm not necessarily holding my breath for amazing things, but I'm curious. They're also not doing any new DC books other than Convergence during those two months. Hmm. And so when we have our uh, other retailer friends back on, maybe next month, hopefully, uh, we'll, we'll, dig in, we'll dig into that a little bit. But the other thing Marvel's doing, of course, is Axis. That's their big event. Axis is kind of not the best execution, I think, of this idea that Good guys can become bad guys. Bad guys can become good guys. It's like they took the idea behind Superior Spider-Man and just ran with it. Yeah, and I like Remender a lot. I think that this isn't the best Remender. I think he's. it's kind of the whole when Matt Fraction did his event. Yeah, I was going to say Fraction kind of dropped the ball, but not that Fraction has any, you know, he was knocking it out of the park with Hawkeye. And yet he couldn't really kind of capture what he wanted with well, with Hawkeye. Itself. He didn't try to hit for the the cheap seats, right? He he went for I'm going to do the Hawkeye story that I want to tell, right? And I think when the, when a writer like that sticks to their guns and doesn't try to make the broader brush thing, like it, it's, it tends to be more successful. Even Bendis occasionally, as much as he did okay events, I think his personal stories, his indie stuff, powers, even Alias. Which is a Marvel thing, yeah. Was far more successful than some of his stuff with Avengers and I mean, his X Men like, stuff's been good, but you know, it's it's but stuff like you look like Secret Invasion was very lopsided, right? It was and very uneven storytelling, exactly. So Axis is whatever you have crazy stuff like Apocalypse and the X Men working together, and uh, um, I don't know who else. Uh, all these villains like Carnage, Red Hobgoblin. Well, Red Onslaught, he's been kind of taken out of the equation for the moment. But you have all these other villains doing heroic things. I mean, Magneto, of course, but, you know, he's kind of a straddles the line back and forth that way. So Axis is interesting. Specifically, there are three books that kind of tie into it. The new Captain America, uh, well, formerly the Falcon, the Falcon, Sam Wilson. Actually very good, but what's funny is they didn't start it with a tie into Axis. So it's unclear to me at this point if the story they're telling is before Axis or after. Hmm. But it basically shows... Sam Wilson as a good guy and in the Axis books he's bad so that's kind of an interesting choice Eminence doing the art's great um, the other two Thor which is the female Thor um, interesting because Thor's her thought bubbles are not as Guardian so they're just like her own Wait, thoughts is this Erica Masterson from the know. 90s I, I don't know they haven't shown who it is but then when she talks she does yay verily da 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 so she, she she has this kind of conflicting back and forth uh, between I guess her and then the hammer. What's what's the female variant of Thunderstrike? Hmm, can't think of it. Yeah, so I don't know. There's some thought that it's probably um, Thor's girlfriend uh, from from Shield. Uh, Thor had a, a little bit of a a tryst, uh, kind of a developing relationship with oh. with her. And I can't think of her name now. I oh, it's Roz. 
because it's named after Kirby's wife. Um, uh, anyway, so that's possible. They haven't revealed it. And then, of course, Superior Iron Man. This is the other big access related thing. Uh, Tony Stark is back to drinking. And being a douche. Um, yeah, he basically, and this is kind of a cool conceit. And, of course, Tom Taylor's writing it, who's done a lot of fun. What if Superman was evil? He's done like twice, you know, did it with um, the DC. Was it, what was the, the video game? Uh, the Mortal Kombat-ish game? Oh, oh, uh, Inhuman. Yeah. No, no, not Inhuman. Injustice. Uh, Injustice. Yeah, so Injustice. he's, he wrote the tie-in with, that made, you know, Superman. Is that still ongoing? Yeah, I think they're like a second arc or whatever. That's still amazing that that, that book is still going. And then he did the Superman is a dick dominated by Apocalypse or Dark Side in Earth 2. They're doing okay. that. So now he's doing basically what if Tony Stark was a dick and kind of a bad guy. What's, All blamed on the extremists. So basically he's found a way to put extremists out there into the wild, lets people download it from their, their phones, and gives them it for free. Mm-hmm. Like lets them transform their own bodies, make themselves supermodels, all this great stuff. But then after a trial period, he takes it back. But he will give it to them for $99 a day. Nice. Yeah. Like, it is a believable, hyper-capitalistic... Super subscription plan. I mean, it, it's a good idea, and they've never done anything like this. Now, what is interesting is the Hickman stuff, the Avengers and New Avengers arc. They were doing this basically now it's six months in the future. Time runs out. Right. This is when all the crazy things happen. We don't know if it, Secret Wars is going to be like Convergence. It's taking over everything. I don't know. We don't know. But long story short, there are six months in, it in the future, and they've just shown what Tony Stark is up to, because up till now he's been sort of hidden away. Mm-hmm. He's actually, actually a prisoner of the bad cabal that's running, like, the, like Thanos and a bunch of his lieutenants and Namor. They're basically trying to save the universe by destroying other universes. Right, yeah. They're, they're fulfilling what the Illuminati were going to do, but they're actually doing it, and the Illuminati never did. Um, they have Tony Stark prisoner, but several, at least two different people have tried to rescue Tony, and he's so full of pride and so full of whatever that he still thinks he was right in everything he did that my belief from what I've both seen in that and from what I've read is he does not get put back to quote-unquote good guy status after inversion and after Axis wraps up. So that allows them to now tell this story of Tony Stark as an evil capitalist dick. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of interesting. The, the, the main uh, nemesis for him will be Daredevil? Well, and that's he's already shown up, and, and we just found out, of course, they're ending the epic Mark Wade, uh, Chris Somney, Daredevil run. Because Mark is going year. somewhere? Well, I don't know. Well, he's doing Star Wars. We know that. Yeah. One of the Star Wars series. But anyway, long story short, Marvel is shaking things up, certainly. They are not just doing the same old thing over and over again. If you're interested, you don't have to read Axis. Any of those three books work very well on their own. But they all come out of, I guess, in sort of in different ways, either Original Sin or Axis. Um, all the other um, uh, Marvel books, I just want to mention really quick, they brought back the Guardians, the 31st century. Uh, Dan Abnett, I believe, is the one writing it. Lots of fun. Very... Good mix of the two, sort of. It's got a humor, but it's the classic characters, and my brother and I are big fans of that, so that's been really good. And She-Hulk, unfortunately, coming to an end, but this Charles Soul run, not only is it just, the art's just wacky awesome, sort of that European style by, um, oh man, I can never think of his name, Polito, I think. Like, it's been good storytelling, and it involves lawyers. That's the thing. Like they even talked about when they announced that the book was ending, that there are other books that have struggled more with viewership that are still going. Well, and I think part of it is Charles Soule's being pulled off to a million other things. 
he has more stories he wants to tell, but I think they're trying to shelve it for now. The other thing is, if this Secret Wars thing is true, there might be a lot of stories that are wrapping up and sort of ending mm. so that they can do this Secret Wars thing, which is going to be across the line, and then either do a reboot, which is people keep, you know, oh, Marvel's going to reboot, whatever, or pick back up after a certain period. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. It's I think a lot of it's for publicity and PR. And also, I mean... Do you think that this reboot has any stemming from the movie rights to certain properties? Oh, well, that that always motivates things. Like, you know, there's the theory that you're trying to downplay the Fantastic Four, downplay the X-Men, and uplift the Inhumans. Right, as a a replacement for the X-Men. Who were never very big characters. I mean, they're they're cool characters, to be sure, but um, who knows? Like, we don't know. No one's going to know now. Maybe in 20, 30 years when there's the tell-all history of Marvel part two, mm-hmm. Electric Boogaloo. I mean, you know, like, maybe then we're going to find out the back door behind the scenes stuff. But I'm curious to see how it all plays out with Marvel if they do this sort of multiversity type thing where they just kind of go, yep, all these universes, including the cinematic universe, including the ultimate universe, including the whatever universe, they're all part of the Marvel thing now. They're all there to interact, you know. See, I always thought that the, the multiverse or the whatever you want to call it, the whatever DC calls there. Elseworlds the, or whatever. But it, it's always like, a, okay, you acknowledge that these multiverses, this multiverse exists. Easy cop out now. Any story you do, yeah, it's out there somewhere. Well, and but that's, you know, Grant Morrison, that's his thing. Like all stories are sort of connected and influence each other. And they do in reality in the sense that they... They they influence each other. Marvel right. and DC influence uh, influence each other all the it's, time. It's so meta. Well, and it's then so meta. The multiversity thing. They basically had Marvel as one of the universes in that first issue. Did you? You didn't read that, did you? No, I didn't get to that part. I mean, it, it showed the Avengers and the Hulk and Spider Man as, as, as much as you can. Yeah. Right. And and what what did Hickman do? He basically brought in the Justice League in a new incarnation. He didn't use the uh, that other group. Uh, Oh, man. Oh, the Squadron of Supreme? Yeah, he didn't use Squadron of Supreme, but he did his own take on it. Oh, the, the sinister, Squadron of no, no, Sinister? It's, it's, but, well, but they did that, too. Yeah. But he did his own, basically. Sinister Syndicate. And he had the Avengers, the Illuminati, fight them. So it's it's all sort of converging, for lack of a better term. And these universes are affecting each other in, in real ways. And it's kind of cool, but it's also so, like you said, meta that it can get a little too incestuous and too and that's when people go can we just get back to some basic stories with some archetypal characters well, which which might very be might bite yeah might very well be the reaction after all these big events next all this spring. shuffling is done they go back to quiet let the lines let the stories let this let them be on their own don't bring them into the events just let them do their thing but uh, we'll see. Certainly, we'll, it's exciting for people who like those kind of events, and it, it brings in potentially new readers. It ties in with other things in the TV now and movie uh, mm-hmm. spheres. But so again, this was a sort of an interesting episode, sort of a media mess uh, redux what? Uh, what? of our of our Playboy show. But um, thank you for listening. Of course, we can be found anywhere on social media that you have. Uh, social media except for LO I think that's the only thing we're not on we're on Tumblr we're on uh, Facebook we're on Twitter we're on uh, Google Plus still <laughs> to Google because you know why not um, we all have emails flame on show uh, we like getting interaction we really appreciate hearing from our fans um, 
We've had a lot of new likes lately. Our friends over at Geektastic, uh, who I've actually known a little bit through other geek groups that we're in, um, they've been helping us uh, get some get some publicity. Of course, if you've been following the feed, you you heard our Ben De La Creme, uh interview, which was awesome. We were so thrilled to meet Ben. Uh, we have another big interview coming up, possibly as soon as the next issue or episode in this feed. So if you listen to this late later than when it comes out, you may actually get to you know enjoy that, which we're really excited about. And uh, we're going to be wrapping up the end of the year here soon. We have one more episode in us for the end of the year as a as a group cast. We might do some kind of a year-end thing, possibly talk about some of the TV shows that were you know, our favorite moments from these shows. If you have any questions, like we said, please feel free to submit them. And uh, I guess that's everything. Do I get to say it this time? Sure. Flame off. Thanks for listening to Flame On, a podcast made possible by Powder Milk Biscuits, the ones in the blue box, a comic shop, and the generous support of tops and bottoms like you. If you want to be one of our sugar daddies, you can help out by telling a cute single friend about us, reviewing us on iTunes, or putting some dollars down our digital G-string in our monthly support drive. For more ridiculously entertaining and socially enlightening episodes of Flame On, as well as other fine programs, head on over to Nerdy Show. You can subscribe to Flame On and all Nerdy Show Network podcasts via iTunes. And be sure to find us on Twitter at Flame On Podcast or Facebook on our Flame On fan page. And make sure to check out FlameOnShow.com for more nerdy queer in your ear. 